Greetings, citizen volunteer. In case there is any fear in your heart, take with you this awesome... Hold to open. Hold to open. Yes, and what do you do? Puny, defenseless bipeds, ready to outsit eternity. Can't be more than an hour, can it, Doctor? 50,000 years, 100,000. Time is immaterial. Receding neural activity. Your mind is beginning to work. Please remain in contact with the biocryonic vibrations. Here come the drums! Hello, and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, the entire television canon in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and Pete and I are a couple of guys, a couple of journalists. We've covered Doctor Who many times in the past. We have been on this journey for years, many years, perhaps 10,000 of them at this stage. Uh, we are, we're far into the future of, of our former selves on Pull to Open. <laughs> Don't start any dating controversies right now. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this since 1980, or have we been doing it since 1975? Who knows? Time can be rewritten. It can. Speaking of time, let's look back in time to where we have been recently. So many, many, many moons ago, I want to point out, we were at Revenge of the Cybermen and Genesis of the Daleks. We've done both of those, not necessarily in that order, but that will become very relevant in a minute. <laughs> but let me catch you up on what we've done recently. I Three stories ago, we were back in ancient China with our buddy... Marco Polo and our enemy Tagana and the TARDIS team. And it was, uh, it was super fun. It was super fun yeah. to go back to the very early days of the show and figure out creative ways to watch uh, what is a fondly remembered missing episode. So that was good times. Indeed. We got in our caravan after that and uh, were then rocketed forward in time, but not that far forward uh, to the Unquiet Dead there in yes. Victorian England. Uh, yes. One of the... What an uh, episode from the first series of the new show. So a not too often visited era for the podcast. It's, I believe I think it's only our second Eggleston episode. A uh, bit of a bit of a controversy on that visit. Uh, go yeah. back to last week's show to figure out our dating controversy on <laughs> where we were supposed to go instead of the unquiet dead. But so we went with it. Day, we're now cursed. We're cursed but until we get to curse the black spot. We are very cursed, but in keeping with the uh, pirate destiny, our ultimate pirate destiny, last time we were at the second segment of the Key to Time era, which is, of course, the pirate planet, uh, written by Douglas Adams, famously, and a delightful visit to the planet Zanuck. It really was. And then... Well, and then we rocketed back again in time. Yeah, but forward, far, far into the future, we have arrived at season 12, serial two, the Ark in Space. That's right. We're on Nerva, Nerva Station. Right. Uh, it's not a beacon yet. Or no, it was formerly a beacon. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> it's timey-wimey, Doctor it was, it was a beacon, and then they brought the management consultants in. They said, no, no, you need to rebrand as Nerva Station. Uh, I like hmm. that you brought up Revenge of the Simon and Genesis of the Daleks at the beginning. It makes me feel of sort of, sort of like those those previously on, uh, you know, uh, things at the start of a show. They, they sort of cut together. You kind of tell what's in the episode from what they're highlighting in the previously on. Uh, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Revenge of the Cybermen. Uh, cut in some footage from that. Genesis of the Daleks. We're right there. We're right in it. We're in the TARDIS light season. Yeah. We're really filling out this season one of Tom Baker. Uh, this is only the second story of his entire run, The Ark in Space. Yes. And Which, it's you notably the first know. trip in the TARDIS for Harry Sullivan. So it's kind of like trying out this group, right? It's the Doctor Sarah and Harry, and that's they're right. We going have, on adventures. We have been talking about you know the the three person TARDIS team as being ideal, or rather, Doctor and two companions, and here we are at, at another example. Yeah, yeah, I think it also works. So, guys, if you're here for the commentary on the Ark in Space then feel free to go ahead and check the show notes right now and you will be able to find the exact time code on when that commentary begins. It always always begins with our summary of the plot, a little segment we like to call TLDW, where one of us summarizes the story in record time. Uh, but before we go do that, we're going to dive into what we like to call the pull to open feedback loop. That's and Chris right. has a little something to say about that. We're taking a side trip and a transmat to into the feedback loop, uh, changing clothes in order to do so. But listen, folks, one of the best ways to show that you love Pull to Open is to leave a review in the podcast app you're using, especially if you're using Apple Podcasts. Uh, no judgment if you're not. But reviews, especially five-star reviews, will make the show visible to more listeners now and 10,000 years in the future. Uh, the listeners eager for great discussion of Doctor Who, which this absolutely is, I have to say. Uh, the only way, the only way to better show your appreciation for the show is to share the podcast with a friend. Even if the friend doesn't know anything about Doctor Who, just just plunge them in at the deep end with this podcast. We, we like to be welcoming to uh, beginners. We like to be welcoming to new Who viewers and old Who viewers alike. We, we want to unite the tribes. We want to introduce the old show to, to the fans of the new show. Uh, we're, we're doing a lot of stuff here on various platforms. Perhaps more platforms than you can shake <laughs> a large green dead insect husk at. And one of those platforms is, in fact, Spotify. Yeah. So, we hey there, Spotify listeners. Insect husks. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's green. It's definitely green. Um, I'm talking to you, Spotify listeners. Yes, there are even more ways for you to interact with the show. Uh, of course, you can rate the show in your mobile app. But also, each and every week, Chris and I, as you know, give a rating or pull to open rating for the story we're talking about. And you, too, can give a rating if you're listening on Spotify. So just go to that episode page in your app and tell us if you thought it was a Dalek, Ogron, Viscount Banger, Fixed Point in Time. I know I'm forgetting at least one of them. Uh, but you can have your say on what you thought of that story. And hey, isn't that reason enough? Even if you're listening on Apple or Stitch or whatever, go ahead and download Spotify. And now you can also have your say on our ratings. And we will always circle back after a certain amount of time to give you some results. And I'm going to do that now because we, we have some for the Unquiet Dead. So the count on the Unquiet Dead, if you recall, well, our ratings, first of all, like we were both very pleased to, to go back to the Unquiet Dead and found it mm. a better experience than when we watched it the first time all the way back in 2005. And uh, we both gave it a Dalek. And I think yeah. you even said it's probably one of the, the better uh, Daleks. I forget if you said it was like a Dalek Emperor or yeah, just Dalek a shiny, Emperor. shiny Dalek. Super shiny, uh, polished brass Victorian Dalek there. Um, 
Yeah, it was it was it was pretty good. I I was definitely tempted to give it a banger. Um, as were twenty five percent of you gave into that yeah. temptation to give it a banger. Uh, our best of the best rating. So yeah, clearly yeah. clearly big big quite unquite dead fandom out there. They're not being quiet about it. Yeah, and the Dalek rating is still well ahead, so it's at about sixty percent of the vote. Called it a Dalek, so we were very aligned with the fans. Um, about seventeen or so percent of the folks rated it a professor hater, which of course means mm. it's not so great an episode, but at least they learned something. Uh, but nobody called it an Ogron, and nobody all there was zero for fixed point in time as well. So mm. definitely, uh, I think this is this is kind of what you would see. Uh, actually, I don't think you would have seen this several years ago. I think you would probably would have got Dalek Professor Hater more. But yeah. I think now it's more Dalek Banger uh, upon reflection. It, yeah, yeah, it really is. And I, I do want to watch it again at some point in the future and maybe maybe revisit that rating because maybe with the more passage of time, uh, you know, Eccleston plus Callow, um, yeah, just some fine acting in, in that episode. So maybe it... it will take a little bit longer to marinate into a banger you know what i've never done i've actually never watched that episode at christmas i should Ooh, try that yeah, because yeah. it is it is basically the first christmas episode of of the new series throw it into the christmas mix we should yeah, uh, yeah. it's sort of it's it's the diehard of uh, of doctor who it's a christmas movie um yeah well moving on from spotify thank you for spotify voters uh, uh, everyone else please go vote um on YouTube, we are youtube.com slash pull to open. Uh, you can see us. Hi, YouTubers. Um, and all of our Easter eggs in the background. Uh, but you've got a Cybermen this week. I, I guess that's a Nervous Station reference. A little bit. A little bit. Oh Nervous God. bringing me back in the cyber mood. But I also I, I realized I have so many Doctor Who hardcovers, too. And I never oh, pulled them out for anything. And since this is a classic show... I wanted to get some of these ones I got from the 80s. I don't, don't really have any uh, books and stuff from the 70s, which would be more appropriate mm. for the Arkham space, but I wanted yeah. to pull these out because I just don't pull them out that often. You don't have the Ian Mata novelization. Of, uh, <laughs> I don't. I think I did a while back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my sister inherited most of my Target books, though. Pretty wild that he wrote that. Anyway, if you are watching on YouTube, here is your reminder. Please like the video that you're watching right now. I'm going to point to where the like button is right there hit it now 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 um and uh subscribe and smash that bell icon if you want to get transmitted somewhere else or um <laughs> or if you want notifications for whenever we post something new and one place else one other place where you don't need notifications or you might want <laughs> notifications uh but where the videos are much shorter is what is it pete it is TikTok, our most active social network. We post short videos there all the time. We are at Pull to Open, all one word on TikTok. We get lots of great comments, reach lots of people through the app, and we always, we often like to highlight a comment of the week, which I'd like to do here. So okay. this is from Joe, Joe Rep, friend of the pod, and he's commenting on one of our videos uh, on the Unquiet Dead and uh, Eccleston's performance and how he is essentially sort of lecturing Rose a bit on her polite morality and that the Gelf in that episode are going to occupy some dead bodies and this is before they realize that the Gelf are evil and he's thinking, oh, this is just like recycling. It'll be fine. They'll, they'll inhabit bodies and that's just what we're going to have to get used to. 
And Joe observes uh, that I think this hints at some of the horrors of the time war we don't really get to see. Mm. The dead getting possessed? Tuesday. Perfectly fine to him. <laughs> Which, yeah, I think I think that's true. I mean, this is all, you know, Eggleston's Doctor was very um, unique in many ways. And I, I think part of it is performance. He's just such a good actor to play both the humor and the darkness. He just really brings yeah. both out really, really well. And that was very evident in this episode. He's but also seen Russell seen some T- things, man. He's seen some he's things. He's seen some things. Yeah. But also I'd say Russell T. Davies was writing the Doctor in a very conscious way that he's wounded and fresh from the time war. He was, you know, was obviously peeling back those layers of mystery during series one. And just the the jibing of that writing with Eggleston's performance was was just pitch perfect through most of that season. So um, but yeah, totally. I think that this read as to why why Eggleston's just so that doctor is um, ready yeah. to lash out at Rose for uh, getting upset about something that he's just kind of whatever i've just you know i've seen some crazy stuff in this time war don't don't get upset about this and at this point everyone eccleston and rtd included thinks that it is actually him his regeneration that's been through the time war right we would not get the 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 right war doctor for many years so yes thank you joe thank you to everyone on tiktok uh for making it our most active network uh we are still posting short videos all the time there so please go check them out and also, while you're at it, why not just also just max out your phone, fire up Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and follow us on all of them at Pull2Open63. All of them? Yes, all of them. Um, and drop us a line there, wherever you want to uh, reach us through your favorite social network. And that is the end of the feedback loop. And Pete, we have done it in nine minutes. Nine minutes. In nine minutes look we at that were talking before the show we we do uh you know we we hear uh we hear ourselves every week we we listen to the show every week and uh, it does sort of feel like the feedback loop can stretch on a bit too long and we do like to note it in the show notes when the feedback loop ends but also yeah we can we can we can squish it a bit we can play with time here well That's especially we if we if we don't have a humoji challenge yeah, that's right. easier to get through so we still but. need to reload a few more of those emoji titles. We got a couple in on some comments. I haven't uh, mm. compiled them yet. So we're, we're the emoji, emoji challenge is coming back, guys. But uh, we, we yeah. could definitely use some more fuel for it. So feel free to leave us a Doctor Who story title in the form of an emoji on any of the networks that we just I, And I'll just add to that by saying don't. Uh, please, <laughs> please do not leave a Doctor Who story title in the form of emoji because people use it to torture me. Um and I will, I will agonize over it. And you That's definitely why don't I cre- see that. created the podcast in the first place. <laughs> you don't want to oh. see that. Seriously, <laughs> why, why would you want to see me suffer? Uh, what, what is it? What, what is it about you people, you monsters? Uh, anyway, no, no, love, love you humans. <laughs> um, so yes, is is there other business? There is. We have a returning companion. Uh, yeah, speaking of humans, announced. we love. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not so much, but uh well, you know, Bonnie uh, Langford's a lovely person and Bonnie she Langford. is back. She's, She's back, back in the show for season, well, I guess it's series 14, mm. uh with Shuti Gatwa and uh she'll be back as Mel and she did obviously yeah. did her cameo at the end of The Power of the Doctor, which brought a host of questions which it now looks like we're going to get answered because right. Mel as any Doctor Who fan knows, uh, says goodbye to the Doctor at the end of Dragonfire to go party with Sabalom Glitz, s- seemingly somewhere in the future. 
And how is she then back on Earth mm. uh, to take part in the companion support group or whatever it is at the end of Power of the Doctor? How did she get back? What happened to Glitz? What's she been doing? Uh, and our, Russell, Dav- Russell T. Davies, of course, biggest Doctor Who nerd there is, mm. is very aware of those questions. He's acknowledged them in what he shared out, I believe, on Instagram. And uh, looks like there's going to be some stuff there. And, and I, I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm betting Chris, yeah. he's going to be dealing with what you call the Mel moment. <laughs> oh, please, please, please. Yes, long-time listeners know that I, uh, if you listen to the Rage Quitting episode, which I, I do recommend, I think that's one of our better short trips, uh, we talked about the fact that I Rage Quit Doctor Who when uh, when Mel arrived. Well, when when we had the horrible Baker to McCoy regeneration, uh, that was the moment that I Rage Quit. But the moment of being prepared for by... Uh, Mel's uh, arrival, uh, weird arrival, watcher-like uh, in uh, in uh, Trial of a Time Lord, where it's sort of like it isn't explained how she joins the TARDIS or how the, the Doctor is uh, seeing a vision from his or presenting a story from his future with her in it, and then she just sort of shows up, and that did not sit mm. well with teenage me. So yes, please, RTD, if you're bringing Mel back, please address that issue. Um, I do love that RTD is really just leaning into the uh, what I'll call his "what but how" comments, <laughs> um, <laughs> which he's also said about the whoever Jonathan Groff is playing. Uh, mm. Jonathan Groff is dot 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 what no but how, um, mm. which I love. Suggests so more to yeah. reveal there, but yeah, he really knows how to tickle our taste buds. Yeah, so I have a lot to say about Mel and their, her history with the Doctor, but I'll probably save that for a Terror of the Vervoids podcast because yeah. <laughs> it's most relevant there. But I just say that like I, I'm pretty excited about this because I really like what Bonnie Langford has done in the Big Finish audios. I think the the, the I haven't listened to a lot of them with her, but um, in particular, she's done some really memorable ones like The One Doctor. And there's another one that I forget the name of it. I think it's called Black White or something. But it's mm. uh, that's a very timey-wimey one. So she's gotten some really rich material since. And I like that she's leaned into um, Mel. Mel's, I think, smarter. She's supposed to be smarter than she's often written on screen. She seems a little goofy. And they do some silly stuff like the swimming pool thing on uh, Paradise Towers. Uh, but I think she's been much better treated in the audios. And I would love to see a version of that Mel come to life on screen it looks like we might get it because it's like she she has like, <laughs> we, we i joked about this on our twitter feed she has that line megabyte modem which is one of the most infamous lines in in doctor who when she sort of shouts it i think in uh the ultimate I, foe i didn't and, know but, this but she was uh the character supposed to be like a computer programmer like she she's hmm. supposed to be kind of a, a smart nerdy person so let's let's see more of that let's lean into mel being kind of kind of fun smart and uh like on the job I'm i think the- i uh, i think i erased all memory of, of mel and who or what she was uh from my matrix um there's, there's, <laughs> there's a big old gap there when i look but i uh i yeah i'm gonna say something which i i never thought i'd say which is i hope we go to more mel stories before before the 60th anniversary rolls around before the next season begins uh because yes i would i would like to uh see more about it. i've not seen Dragonfire. uh i did not know how she left uh so <laughs> spoiler alert purely, that's <laughs> sorry I, I love i love spoilers i love spoilers it's all good 
Um, I'm the anti-river in that sense. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's it. This is an, this is new territory for me. This is unknown territory. It's part of the joy of pull to open is that, uh, basically Pete has seen a lot more of Doctor Who than I have. Um, and <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of an old school fan, probably at this stage, more of a new Who fan. Um, but I still, you know, am enjoying the opportunity to go, you know, one story at a time, one week at a time through, through old Doctor Who. And if I may just talk for the next 20 minutes about the difference between <laughs> old and new Doctor Who. Hey, oh no, no. Hey, wow. We, we, we hey, got to get onto some of this sapiens. Yes. classic <laughs> stuff that you purport to be enjoying. That's something we need to. We need to we need to get going on guys it's time to begin talking about the arc in space and as we do every week we begin our commentary with a record short his plot summary uh done entirely from memory from one of us and this time it is one Christopher Taylor who will be taking us through the arc in space in 2 minutes are you ready sir uh no, but uh but I think I've got this. I think I got it. Uh it might break down a little bit at the end. If if I start to struggle, you might see a, a green hand arise with bubble wrap on it, and I'll just sort of stare and go, No Well um, Doctor Who fans, it's well known, have a race memory that you can tap into. <laughs> and so if you can get into that zone, you will be able to get every single plot point of this episode. In yes. record time. I'm very confident me, about that. Let me tap into Dune's memories. <laughs> the Dune was. Well, uh, they would end right before this one, but we got to begin now. <laughs> okay. The official pull to open summary of the Ark in Space begins in three, two, one, go. Okay, so it's a nervous station, it's in the future, and we see uh, something coming in from the outside, and it, it goes into one of the uh, cryogenic tanks and into someone's head. What's going on? We don't know. But then the Doctor, Harry, and Sarah arrive, and uh, they're, they're figuring it out. They realize they're in the far future. Doctor thinks maybe 30th century. No, it's like thousands of years beyond that. Um, and uh, there have been solar flares, and, and uh, everyone on Earth has had flea, and they're cryogenically stored in the station. Uh, but... Uh, but Sarah, Sarah gets cryogenically frozen because uh, she gets uh, broken up from the group, and and they have to try to save her. And and uh, and there's an auto bot that's sort of shooting at the Doctor and Harry uh, that they that they overcome. Uh, they get Sarah out, but then also someone else called Vira wakes up, and 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 she wakes up the the leader of the ship, who they jokingly call Noah. Uh, and but that Noah, when he's investigating the engines, he's uh, finds out that uh, he, he he turns into a wern. One man. Uh, and uh, they're, they're these uh, insect species that go around and um, basically uh, infect um, humans, and they want to take over humans because humans have taken over their land in Andromeda, and uh, and now they're going to uh, assume all of the knowledge of of humanity and they're super physics, and they're going to be super powerful, and they're going to invade everything and, and take everyone's life. Uh, so they have to figure out how are they going to defeat the Wurren uh, altogether, including uh, Noah, who's basically leading the Wurren at this point. Uh, they basically, through a bunch of tricks and electricity and, and the Doctor seeing into the Wurren's brain, they, they get them all into the shuttlecraft, um, and then they, the shuttlecraft takes off, and then uh, basically it blows up, and it turns out that uh, Noah was, was basically on their side all along, and, and then they uh, transmat down to Earth in, in new clothes. Um, 
and uh, don't know that they're about to deal with some sort of tyrants. And time. <laughs> wow. You came in just like with a second to spare there. That yeah. never happens. <laughs> what is the last time that has happened on TLDW? I I was like, what what have I missed out here? Should I mention Rogan? Um, should I mention uh, whoever the other dude is? Um, mention yeah. the larvae? The, uh, the queen? Did you mention the queen falling out of the closet? And uh, stuff yeah, like I that? should have mentioned Harry Harry finding finding the queen in a cupboard. Uh, mm. Who among us has not opened a cupboard that they've not opened in ages and found a giant green insect falling out on them? <laughs> heard that Doctor Who cliffhanger music. Um. <laughs> it's so clearly falling, yeah. too. I remember yeah. when I, I was watching this with my daughter and she basically called it like we were like, whoa, that was crazy. That wasn't like because they're looking for a uh, some oxygen or resuscitator or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's not a resuscitator. And she was like, yeah, it, was, it looks like it was falling, fall just falling yeah. down. And I was like, yeah, it, it did. But that's the thing about uh, old Who special effects, right? You can't tell. Is it falling or is it supposed to be attacking? <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. That's Either true. The next episode could open with Harry going, oh, it's all right. It's just a stiff corpse. It's dead. Or it could open with Harry sort of like wrestling this clearly inanimate object, uh, you know, and trying to like throw it around. Hmm. No, 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 no. Oof. The doctor saves him. Um, so, yeah. So- I think you you had like yeah you you had pretty much the story and it's it's interesting coming here because we just did the pirate planet and not to get too into the why the randomizer brought here brought us here I think there's a bunch of reasons but uh-huh. this is a comparatively straightforward plot and story so um, you know your chances of TLDW were probably a little higher. <laughs> for that one for that reason Given that the whole first episode is just the Doctor Harry and Sarah. Um, right, which is very, very rare uh, up until this point in Classic Who. Um, like, I don't believe you believe you have to go back to the Troughton era to find an episode that's just the Doctor and his companions. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's true. There's, there's, they're just kind of wandering around and slowly encountering automated mm-hmm. systems and uh, you know unraveling some kind of mystery. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting structure. Um, for for this particular story, there's a few other things to note about it. It's all done on video because there's mm-hmm. no location filming for this at all. So yeah. it was all studio. Um, this is these are the same sets that they end up reusing in Revenge of the Cybermen, and they did that uh, deliberately to save some money and say like, okay, we'll just have a story go back to the to the other to the, to the same space station. Which, yep. but although this sets off strangely some weird dating controversies, even though they do a decent job of of explaining the time zones here. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of forgotten, missed and mistakes were made later. And when people refer back to this episode and just completely get the period wrong, because they actually talk about multiple different periods. Um, so that's funny. Yeah. Uh, this is the first story produced by Philip, Hinch- Philip Hinchcliffe. Actually, he didn't produce Correct. robot. Uh, that was actually done by Barry Letts, uh, which I assume was his last one. And, so yeah, it seems so weird because of course Robot was the first episode of of Tom Baker's first season, so or the first story of of the first season of Tom Baker, and it's this is the last time that you had this weird situation of like a producer carrying over from the previous right. from the previous Doctor to like the first story of the, of the new season. That would never happen again, and, and just seems seems a bit weird. But but yeah, well, definitely. This, this but is, 
it's it's like in modern who obviously there's the whole concept of a showrunner and so you Mm -hmm. know that sort of thing would kind of never happen back Mm -hmm. then i feel like the producer role was sort of slowly evolving into showrunner and i think you you could make a very strong case that after Hinchcliffe, Hinchcliffe started that, not maybe not started it, but like John Nathan Turner, I think is maybe more properly thought of as the showrunner of Doctor right. Who than right. the producer. But because by, by that point, it, it he was just, he was the guy. He was making all the mm. calls. Um, certainly, uh, the Hinchcliffe era is the first one that we sort of think of as having a, a definite feel to it, right? I mean, you could say maybe the Barry Letts era we think of as being like, it's more ecological, it's more Green Death, it's more Inferno, right? It's it's more, you know, we care about what's happening to the planet and it's getting screwed and, and here's John Pertwee investigating that fact in a lot of ways. Uh, with Hinchcliffe, it's horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's and so he's like right out of the gate, he's mm-hmm. sort of establishing that horror tone and sort of more adult theme. And and I, I whether it's he thinks it's better or if he thinks it's a good way to expand the audience, I mean, it sort of does both. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's definitely trying to expand the audience to to a more adult audience. Uh, he did famously cut a scene from this, uh, that I think. Everyone now agrees, including the the actor who who plays Noah, uh, agrees that this this would have been better off in. Uh, but it's basically there is a scene where Noah tells Vira, who I didn't mention that they were pair bonded. That they're, they're basically a future version of husband and wife. Um, there's a scene where he begs her to kill him. Yeah, uh, because that was he's cut, having though. it was cut, uh, mm. and he's having a hard time. And I actually had to dig down deep to find out what, what the dialogue was in, in that scene. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting cause he talks about burning fire, life ecstasy at which I thought it, is, is being a worm like going to burning man. Is that basically <laughs> the experience he's having? Um, but Plen- yeah, definitely plenty of ecstasy. Yeah. <laughs> um. Burning fire, life ecstasy, man, kill me. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm surprised yeah. they cut it just because I mm. feel like like death is always a thing in Doctor Who, right. and I, I guess I well I'd put it to the fans, but surely there's been some point prior to this episode where some character has asked to be killed. Has that not happened in the show at this point? Mm. Was that just deemed off limits? Because I feel like things in uh, Inferno and other places are borderline at least. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it it is weird. Maybe it's the fact that he also throws a gun at at her feet. He's like, "Kill me!" And here's right. The uh, but yeah, it is a shame because Noah is uh, the thinnest character in this. Yeah, he, unfortunately, it's kind of weird. It's kind of just doesn't go. He doesn't. He almost doesn't fit in this story, right? Because we've just been told that the whole of the human race is here, or like the the chosen descendants of the human race are here, and the Doctor's like, oh look, all colors, all creeds. Um, by the way, we should say that Vira was in the original script supposed to be from Haiti. She's supposed to be mm. Haitian, and there's a really missed opportunity for diverse casting, uh, given that the cast is yeah. entirely white. Uh, but yeah, uh, all colors, all creeds, really. And then Noah wakes up, and he's all like, "Who are these people? Like they're going to pollute our genetic pool." Yeah. Really? Did you really, Grandpa? Uh, Grandpa <laughs> eugenics? Uh, did you not just hear this thing about all colors and creeds? I know. Yeah. Well, it's like well, one of the things that I like uh, as as a fan that is seeing some of the themes and even the 
details of this episode reflected in Smile in New Who. Yes. So yes. that that was like the the first people revived here are called MedTechs, and if you catch mm-hmm. it in Smile when they encounter that guy revived in the hallway, he says, "I'm MedTech One." And there, to your point about the diversity, they they seem to make up for that in in yeah. Smile, and that that guy's clearly not white. Like he's yeah. Um, so there's a uh the, the doctor who kind of learns from itself even though it's funny that we talked about smile at the time there's a dating controversy around that Sean, too it's, it seems like they can't do a far future <laughs> colony ship full of humans without it being contra- like i mean there's just so much continuity mm-hmm. in doctor who now I, I, it, it'd be impossible yeah. for it not to be a controversy um yeah, rule number two it, the doctor's terrible times. chronology <laughs> yeah, he needs he needed a second one of those five hundred year diaries. Uh, I think that's mm. that's his problem. He just stopped noting everything down. Yeah, it's so we we, we shouldn't go much further without saying that uh, you know for new fans uh, who are wondering about the Ark of Space, maybe they've heard about it. It is sort of one of the most mentioned stories mm-hmm. of of the classic era. Uh, both RTD and Moffat have said that is their favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolute favorite yeah. bar none of the classic serials, and uh, Moffat in particular wanted to mention, wanted to reference it. That's and that's why I believe this is true, Pete. We have a bingo on you know solar flare human diaspora stories oh. because we have this, we have Smile as you mentioned in the Capaldi mm-hmm. era, and we have the Beast Below, right. Right. Which was Starship UK, which was also fleeing the solar flares, which was also, by the way, all colors and creeds. Um, and the main thing I was thinking about in the dating controversy, because yeah. the Beast Below basically pinpoints the solar flares at the 30th century, when here they explicitly say it's not. Even though the right. station was made in the 30th century, the solar flares were long after that. And th- on top of that, the, the arc has been in space for 10,000 years. Yes, I do love that there's a moment where the Doctor turns to Harry and is like, what do you think, 29th, 30th century? As if Harry's <laughs> going to have the slightest clue what he's talking about. You know, Harry Did you catch that to. the doc, The first line is the Doctor calling Harry an idiot? Yes, yes. And of course, in Revenge of the Cybermen, we have the famous Harry Sullivan, Harry Sullivan is an imbecile. Uh, Tom Baker yelling at the top of his voice. But Referred yeah, back to in uh, yeah. the Zygon inversion. And yes. it's like um, unanimous. It's like unanimous. The doctors are unanimous that Harry's not too bright. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the doctor does tend to uh, denigrate the intelligence of his male companions. That's kind of a mm. thing, um, which, you know, we could, we can get into the reasons for that, but yeah, this, this is Harry's first real adventure and it's a really mm-hmm. good one for him. Like you gotta say, yeah. this is top notch Harry content. Uh, he's really, compelling he is super old school he keeps calling sarah jane old girl right Uh, she threatens to spit in his eye for doing so at one point and then fails to do so when he does so i counted it twice more (laughs) in the script he calls her old girl uh there is no eye spitting um uh he gets to be a doctor like that's good that's like right, he actually, yeah. He's only qualified to work on sailors, as the doctor points out. <laughs> like, <laughs> way to denigrate him in front of like meeting the new person. Seriously, uh, yeah. When he meets Vara for the first time, it's like, oh, I'm afraid my doctor is his only honorary, uh, mm. and Harry here is only qualified to work on sailors. 
Yeah. He gets to do things with the doctor. So like Sarah gets peeled off early mm. and into the room and there's no air. And this is, this is kind of a device they use a lot. Um, yes. I mean, it's not like it's not used in other eras, but in this particular season, it just happens many times that they get the plot going by Sarah getting in trouble. And mm-hmm. in this case, she's suffocating later at this same location, Nerva Beacon. She gets poisoned by the Cybermats. And, you know, this, this sparks all kinds of uh, plot going on. Um, yeah, yeah, she's definitely got grounds for, you know, uh, workplace um, lawsuit here. I think uh, Nerva, Nerva is not a, not a great place for her. Yeah, it's not a particularly great story for Sarah Jane. Uh, you know, mm. Harry's a bit sort of a old old duffer in in a sense of being sexist about about her and even sort of like gives a sort of a nudge when they hear they hear a voice from the high minister of earth who turns out to be a woman and harry's like hey hey how about that eh, old girl hey eh? she's uh, you know the leader <laughs> well, of the world member of the fairer sex good one for you which is like england's had queens harry <laughs> like, what? like what can you imagine a woman being in charge like what? Have you picked up a history book? I mean, yeah, dude. I know. And also, like, uh, oh, hey, it's good for you, Sarah Jane. Well, why isn't it good for you, Harry? Are you not a feminist? It's 1975, or is it 1980? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, we don't know. But either way, yeah, get with the program, dude. Um, but the doctor is almost more sexist. Um, mm. And I'm not just talking about there's that scene in the end where Sarah Jane has to clamber through. A, a ventilation shaft basically it's a very diehard kind of scene second mention of diehard pulls her open <laughs> um but he uh, you know he sort of encourages her by insulting her uh, right. talking about what a useless girl she is uh, the word girl gets tossed around an awful lot in this story um and and then it turns out oh he, he was only like you know he knew her indomitable spirit would win through and and she gets through at the other end because he's insulting her um but it's not that. It's the fact that he's several times he says, not now, Sarah Jane, where she's right. like, you know, and that's one of the reasons why they don't notice she's gone missing. Yeah. He's like, you know, run along, dear. The, the, the grown ups are thinking, you know, it's, it's not great for the doctor's uh, sexism. Yeah. Like you say, it's, it's not great for her uh, character, those moments. Mm-hmm. And on, on addition to that, like, I mentioned her getting suffocating and getting things going and needing help, but then she gets transmatted away and put into the cryogenic pod or whatever, mm. which again, like she's, she's just kind of blundering her way through this station, which is sort of giving them the impetus to follow her around and, and figure out what's gone wrong here. Um, by the way, this isn't just a knock on Sarah. Did, did it just seem like, to you, nobody was noticing the green slime trail from one yes. of the, the like. It's just so obvious on the set from the from the pod to the ventilation grill, and you're just like, why, why is no one talking about the green slime trail, and why is no one checking that particular pod? Like, it's it seemed like there was a a weird sort of dramatic irony going on there that you know the the set guy wasn't really talking to the script guy, and <laughs> yeah, it was. It's like this super super clean environment yep. like it's totally white like you would notice anything that was out of the order you notice like you notice a piece of lint on that floor yes. and there's this massive goop all over it's like what why is why isn't that the first thing they're looking at that that is you you've hit upon a point that is the first thing you notice about this visually 
which is that it is so bright in there. It's mm. maybe the brightest lit space station in all of TV history. <laughs> uh, and it's certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's often said that this story influenced Alien, uh, right. which was written a couple of years later. Uh, although I actually, I don't think that the timing lines up. I believe Dan O'Brien was writing alien when this was already on. So, you know, a lot of layers of what I'll call fan crud have kind of built up around this story over the Mm -hmm. years. And I think that's one of them, this notion that even Moffat has repeated that like, Oh, they, they stole the plot from for alien. Um, but you know, it, it, let's let's say that were true. It's sort of basically Alien decided to do this, and then said, "Hey, what about if we did this with less lighting?" You know? <laughs> and, and like every, <laughs> every make it really scary. <laughs> yes, exactly. Every iteration of it since has been like, you know, things are scarier when there's less lighting. Um, I mean, a lot of people yeah. found this scary. I think if they watched it as kids, certainly you kind of find it a bit scary. Um, but the lighting well, doesn't really yeah. work to me. I'll say, yeah, the Weirin are conceptually terrifying, uh, how they're talked about and what they do. I would definitely say this is inferior to Alien for the one of the for a few reasons. One of them is the one you just said, which Mm -hmm. is that, well, once the Weirin are physically there, they're they're kind of on camera a little too much to be scary. Right. You kind of need them. This is the thing Alien and other, you know, great. horror concepts do you never quite show the monster at least not until the end or yeah. uh in the, or have a concept like the weeping angels where mm-hmm. you know it's they either you see them in plain view but that's not what's scary about them right? right um so that so there's that thing that's like basically it's not and again it's 1970s doctor who i'm not expecting a ton but it is like i, I think they just <laughs> overused um the the we're in uh, costumes because they had them and they were like oh we have to show mm-hmm. the monster and it's like keeping it out of sight more would have been a better choice um yes, the, uh, the bubble wrap is a bit overused and we yeah the bubble wrap too cliffhanger where noah's hand noah looks at his hand and it's turning green and uh we are what four years on from inferno where mm-hmm. Which also had people's hands turning green. Uh, there, they seem to use a bit of watercolor paint. Yeah, uh, dabbed onto the hand, well, which was green. scarier. I would say yes, it was like seeing that dark green spreading across a hand. Yeah, and and having it go more and more in every shot, and maybe some hairs coming out. That's scarier than the bubble wrap. Um, yeah, this is so clearly bubble wrap. I don't know if enough people would have seen bubble wrap in 1975 to, to yeah, it could be something like that. Yeah. Just as weird an alien, but certainly when the the cliffhanger is like zooming in on the bubble wrap, and you're like, it's mm. bubble wrap. Uh, yeah, so it, it does. Unfortunately, it has not aged well. The special effects are, are, are particularly bad in this one. It's kind of unfortunate. Um, I will say the guy who does Noah, even though the character's yeah. thin, and I don't think he's the only one who has a thin character. Mm-hmm. I think most of the guest cast are, aren't really you know <laughs> fleshed out. Um, yeah. But I, I think he does a good job when he is clearly struggling with himself, when he's like sort of looking at his hand and he's, he's starts slamming it. Like he, he, he's clearly at war with himself thinking mm. that should I tell them? Should I not? Should I like, what do I do here? Cause I'm, and clearly sort of like figuring out that this is some kind of irreversible thing that has infected him and affected yeah. his mind. So that that's kind of good body horror there. It's better than him in the hallway. Just kind of like, 
being hunchback of Notre Dame with the the <laughs> green bubble wrap around. I thought that was a little yeah. uh just didn't look good. Again, it's it super well lit and you can tell it's just prosthetics that have been put on him. Um his hands a little more weirdly deformed when he's when he's more taken over. So that that's kind of good. Yeah. It's just become become a stub as as his face is changing and all this stuff. So that's his okay. Face changes. That's a little yeah. bit scary. Yeah. 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 We should I mean, so that first of all, to viewers of the time, that would totally read as a ripoff of the Quatermass experiment, which was a BBC series, I believe, fifties and sixties. Uh, which also has a cliffhanger where the scientist looks at his hand and it's turning alien, right? That's so it's kind of a trope, even at, at yeah. this stage. Uh, probably it also feels, and I've not seen this reference anywhere else, but it feels, uh, influenced by the movie silent running, uh, okay. which was kind of about an arc in space, um, that's ordered to return to earth. So you can see the, uh, you can see the join here. So let, let's talk, let's talk about the circumstances behind the scenes of, of this story. So it's written by Bob Holmes, mm-hmm. but here is another reason for the randomizer to bring us here. The original version was written by John Lucarotti right. of Marco Polo fame, who hadn't written for the series since 1965. And I just love the fact, especially with a name like John Lucarotti, that he was writing this on a boat <laughs> in the south of France uh, near Corsica. And there was a postal strike. So he's like, sending these episodes in there's no communication between him and bob holmes the new script editor mm. um, because of the postal strike he's basically incommunicado which is kind of a baller move for a writer i'm, I'm yeah. considering relocating to a boat off corsica uh, couldn't, couldn't just fax it in in those days <laughs> yeah yeah that's right couldn't fax it I uh, had to mail it and so so bob holmes decides it's unworkable he actually decides it's a, it's a bit too uh, complex and smart for the Doctor Who audience, which is kind of wow. Well, there's uh, another yeah. <laughs> like echo of the pirate planet, or opposite rather. Right. <laughs> if also, this is too complex, holy right. cow! Yeah. Well, it's definitely you know it's it's Bob Holmes at the beginning of his tenure as as, as script editor. He's just taken right. from Terence Dix, and uh, who was the one who actually mentioned uh, Lucarotti to him, recommended Lucarotti to him. So Bob Holmes has to rewrite this from scratch in 18 days. And given that, it's a pretty good script for something mm. you just write in 18 days. And there are a lot of really, I mean, Holmes is really good at like the, you know, characterization and a few lines. He's got almost Moffaty dialogue. As there's a lot of stuff where you're just like, wow, this is, this is new who, you know, where he talks about, um, there's a line where the doctor says to Harry, oh, Harry, your mind is beginning to work entirely due to my influence. Of course, you mustn't take any credit. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can really yeah. imagine uh, Moffat coming out with that. Uh, similarly, where he gets the doctor gets stunned by a stun gun by Noah at one point, And he wakes up and he says, shot me, did he? In mid-sentence, I might have been saying something important. I was saying something important. <laughs> uh, which is, yeah. yes, I love it. I love it. Um, so a lot of good dialogue moments, uh, you know, but mostly, of... mostly the, the regular cast, uh, yes. you know, you, both of those you cited were, were the doctor's lines. And again, feeding yes. your new doctor, good lines. I think that's definitely job one, um, of mm. the, the script editor and, and for you sure, know, whatever you're trying to do. Um, sure. he does yeah. like his big words does Bob Holmes. There are a lot of yeah. big words in here. There is one, I'm going to say, unfortunately that he misuses, 
where the uh, uh, unless he's saying like unless it's his the whole thing about future speech has sort of evolved to the point where you can they can barely understand each other. And uh, obviously, the the TARDIS translation circuit is taking the day off here because there's a lot of I don't understand mm. your speech, you know, old old person um, from thousands of years ago. Um, but also, like, there's there's a point where Sarah is getting irradiated. And first of all, why would you irrad- irradiate someone to uh, cryogenically store them? I don't get how that works. Um, mm. But the irradiated voice with what exactly? That, I guess radiation. Yeah. But- uh, uh. Yeah. Uh, but there's a voice that tells Sarah there's going to be a two-minute interregnum, uh, which is, I think, Bob Holmes been looking a bit too far in his thesaurus there, um, <laughs> because uh, interregnum is literally just the gap between uh, reigns of monarchs. Um, you know, you can't really use it in any other context, and why would it change in the future? But I have to give him props. There's a lot of sort of uncompromisingly long and unusual words uh, in this, and he did uh, manage to teach me uh, the word uh, condine. Condine? Uh, When was that used? Condine, where uh, Vira is is woken, um, and uh, she says that, that Noah will take condine action. Which means, mm. uh, you know, like legally appropriate fitting, you know, an eye for an eye would be a, a condign punishment in theory. You know, gotcha. you know, let the punishment suit the crime. So that's good. And also, if if you're an entomologist, you're going to notice that Bob Holmes is, uh, you know, full of his uh, entomology words here. Yeah. You know, the. Uh, uh, Endoparasitism. Endoparasitism, yes. There's, there's a thing about the. Uh, the insect is going to reach its uh, imago, imago, I forget how you pronounce it, but like the, mm. that is the word for the final form that an insect re- reaches, uh, which the, the we're in about to reach. But I do have to say, I like the original Lucarotti idea better, which was not that it was insects, but it was mushroom spores. Mm, okay. Now that feels a lot more 21st century to me. That feels a lot more ahead of its time because we have that, like The Last of Us, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of oh. zombie horror is okay. sort of based on mushroom spores. Uh, it is sort of a, you know, we, we have the concept of the mycelial network, which, uh, which right. Star Trek Discovery got into. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a real thing. So this notion of like mushroom spores going through space. That said, um, the, um, <laughs> one of, one of the cheap effects, which I do love better, better than the bubble wrap is where basically the, the we're in is, uh, pupating. I guess, and it's it's mm-hmm. basically a guy in a, a green sleeping bag, right? Kind of inching <laughs> forward, but does actually look kind of scary. Yeah, kind of cool. Uh, Those inhuman do, moments. Sure. Also, there's a point where they look like tardigrades, uh, right? Which, yeah. yeah, the water bears that can actually survive in space. So that's ahead of its time. There, I like that too. Yeah, let's sort of jump into the weird a little bit, because honestly, like maybe I'm the only one, but I feel like I don't fully get how they do what they're doing so and i think part of this is you know they were a little bit sloppy but part of it is that like um their abilities sort of change throughout right because so like the queen arrives she lays her eggs in the dude in the pod i guess but it's kind of like she's dying already from the electricity so this is a last ditch Mm. thing she's doing yet she has time to sort of wander around cut the cables open the pod and then uh, lay the egg. Like, I guess do something. I guess they couldn't be graphic with it, but it's like, I guess that's what happens. Right. And so Mm. 
she turns, he's going to become a Weirin, but then <laughs> this isn't really a problem with their abilities, but then she just sort of goes to a closet and locks herself in and dies. Right. And, or, or closes yeah. the door anyway, like that. There's no, there's zero reason for that. And she's like, okay, I got to get ready for that jump scare in a few years. And, <laughs> uh, so that that's fine. But then they, they actually say the queen's been dead for years in there, but yeah. th- is that how long it takes the eggs to gestate because it seems like that dune guy just got out because mm-hmm. they see it wandering around like gunking her up in the in the station right it's just newly wandering around um yeah. so why did that take so long maybe that's just the gestation period but then but then within hours you have a whole bunch of we're in so uh, i guess it's i i you know you have to headcanon a lot of this i guess it's like the solar uh collectors I think is where he goes. Right. And right. that's where they start to gestate. So through that, that accelerates the process. And then he can, there's a whole bunch of weird and they all have Dune's knowledge. And then who or what exactly infects, uh, Noah, you never quite see yeah. it. Is it one of these larvae or larva, larva things that we've seen inching around? Or is it an adult from, from the, the thing like in other words like i don't i don't get quite what's going on like why why didn't dune become an adult and if not like like what how did it lay all these eggs i I guess they just sort of all came out and there's all these pods i don't know there's just not quite enough there for me to fully wrap my head around like you know you look at alien right like oh very clear (laughs) like what happens you know the egg gets inside bursts out becomes adult etc you know there's and then later you find out about queens and stuff and now where the eggs come from but here it was a little like uh, okay, and and yeah, the whole thing where where and the, the the my bigger pick is that mm. it's a little it's a bit of a stretch to think that Noah would get uh, gunked and then have no time to even raise the alarm like he's just yeah. instantly from just one touch he falls down and starts becoming a weirin that just doesn't seem like it just seems a little too easy. You know what this episode really needs, coming straight here from Douglas Adams' episode, is you almost want to cut at some point to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a lot to say on the subject of Wurren. <laughs> you know, and we just get a kind of a little amusing animated segment about the the life cycle and how it actually works. Uh would have made it a lot clearer what's what's going on here. Um yeah, would it have been better as mushroom spores? I kind of think so. Uh, it is It is a bit of an issue here. Well, the thing about bugs, mm. though, I like mm. bugs being the bad guys because mm-hmm. we're all creeped out by bugs. It's just hardwired into humans. Like, everybody is like, oh, you know, and then, and then when they become life-size. It's like, there's some people who can't even watch creature features with big bugs because they're just so terrifying to them. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's how, there's, how did your uh, how did your kids react to the the bug stuff? Yeah, they were fine, especially like Grace. I thought was I was a little worried she might be scared, but no, she was she was fine. I think it's part partly the effects, um, and partly the sort of weird the the high concept of it was not as um well not as graphic as it was, but it was a little again unclear quite quite what their abilities are because they seemed like they were making it up as they went along. So so I think they were fine with it. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I think, again, the weir and I don't want to knock them too much because I do think they work pretty well as a monster. Um, it's too bad that they never really get at the adults 
anyway, never really get a good horror moment where you're just like, Ugh. you know, that like they, they really sort of not necessarily graphically kill a guy, but get your imagination going on what they could do to someone. Cause they have these big mandibles and yep. you know, like they, there's the body horror stuff, but then there's no like full, like, like straight up horror stuff. Um, yeah. We needed, we needed more ooze. We needed more slime. We mm. needed to be, I think, a little bit more uh, fluid than it was. We needed the wearing to be fluid. Uh, they also needed to buy another vowel, I think. Uh, it's a very <laughs> weird, weird complex name with those R's and those N's, uh, which Ian Martha actually changed. I think he added an extra N for the uh, for the target novelization. Um, but yeah, so so the cast does their best with the Warren. I, I really like Wendy Williams, who played uh, Vira. She really sort of sells that character's arc um yeah she's the best of the lot yeah yeah i mean she she starts off very cold and then at the end she's like you know chuckling and and popping down jelly babies yeah i i would say uh, i never got around to my other sort of criticisms of why this is inferior to alien but one of them i think is Mm. the guest cast right like if you think about alien Mm. and how fleshed out and good the supporting cast is and they obviously got top-notch actors to play all those folks so you know points to alien and ridley scott and that whole project um here like there's a couple of other guys and they're kind of there and i think they all get sort of killed at some point either by noah or there's the whole rocket thing at the end and the guy sort of doesn't let the doctor do the noble thing and he he jumps on the sword to uh destroy the weirin but they're all like okay yeah, I guess that guy. And they all have the, sort of the same outfit, uh, which yeah. again, I get why it's this future place and they all have, you know, well, I guess medical scrubs or whatever they're wearing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're all kind of just there. And so you don't you don't have this good guest cast with real sort of clear roles or motivations or there's just nothing interesting about this mm. society, this quasi utopian society that apparently humanity's evolved into. Now, right. We don't get I, more details. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I kind of like that it's a bit utopia. And I like that it's kind of a positive, generally positive vision of the future, at least of people, even though like the planet's been incinerated. But yeah. the it seems like humanity's gotten its shit together at some point and has become like a pretty competent race of explorers. So that's good. Um, definitely a little bit Star Trek-y in that sense. And maybe there's a little bit of Star Trek influence happening here because yeah, this is like yeah. mid-70s and Star Trek's getting really hot in reruns at this point. Except we, we were a bit too colonizer-ish when we went to Andromeda and uh, hence the whole we're in problem. Yeah, well, this is like, they never really explain this. I don't think they have to, but it is like they went mm. to Andromeda, which I assume means the galaxy. So that's pretty far. Mm. <laughs> and that sort of tracks with this supposed time frame, which is yeah. t- more than 10,000 years, probably like it's the year, you know, 15,000 or something. And so that's fine. But I feel like, I guess there's two ways about this. Like they they apparently hunted and killed the weir, and that's what the weir and say. Mm. And it seems like humans encountered the weir and discovered how dangerous they are and decided to exterminate them. Um, which I, I might even say like rightly <laughs> because the <laughs> worms seem really dangerous. Like they seem they like do. these are, and are kind of very evil. bad creatures. Kind of evil. They want yeah. to, they want all that human knowledge. Um, yeah. You, and you can definitely imagine, I mean, the, the doctor says kill the, kill them all before they, before they, you know, reach yeah. their final stage. Basically he's, uh, the doctor basically becomes an exterminator specialist um, here. He'd make you know. a good Dalek, I hear. 
Yes, that is true. But yeah, it's also basically he is turning uh, Nerva Station into uh, a roach motel. Uh, we're, in, we're in check-in, but they don't check out. Um, <laughs> so that's his whole idea there. Um, so but yeah, how did, yeah. yeah. How did you Go like ahead. the ending? So they lure them, we're in, into the transport pod. Yes. And then they all come in and then somehow everybody gets out. Uh, yeah. and the mirror don't notice, or they're still there looking for them. And then they launch oh, yeah. it and yeah. they can only launch it manually. So that guy has to kill himself and then it right. goes out and then it essentially the self-destructs. Doctor, the doctor wanted to sacrifice himself. And the other guy comes along with a union joke, which tells right. you we're in the middle of the seventies here. Uh, like, sorry, the space technicians union is going to disagree with you on that one. Doctor, I'm going to have to knock you out. Uh, yes. Uh, here, we, here we see the the muscular side of seventies strikes. <laughs> the well, guy knocking the doctor out in the chin. To um, me, here's yeah. another reason why Alien is superior. Mm. It both Alien and Aliens understand like the explosion, the seeming end is not a great climax because it's not visceral. Yeah. You don't have uh like a real good character moment there it just sort of happened so i found that to be really anticlimactic here and yeah. i think if if there was if i would revise the first if i were to revise the script the first thing i would do is like it's there's got to be some final thing where there's a, a we're in somewhere or someone got infected and they they have some final visceral uh yeah. conflict I, with well, it I think the final communication from Noah might have had more impact if we had more of a sense that Noah and Vara were, were, were a thing, if we had more sense of his character. Like, you you would almost take care of that that need for something else. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, yeah. I, I, I sort of almost, like, didn't care about the we're in by that stage, and I was much more focused on uh, the whole... the fact that right at the end... Uh, the, the doctors, Sarah and Harry, all basically change into their clothes from the start of the Sontaran experiment, which was filmed <laughs> first, which seems to be a thing in yeah. uh, season 12. They, you know, we've talked about this in uh, Genesis of the Daleks is that they, they, you know, Sarah finds clothes in a locker and the, the clothes that she has to be wearing in Revenge of the Cybermen. And it's just, but like, they're really, <laughs> the, conti- the costume continuity person is really <laughs> on it in this series they're like hey let's very consciously you know all get dressed in the clothes for the you know fetch the doctor's coat and um uh but speaking of clothes uh, and this may be where we get into matter transporters the whole issue with matter transporters oh yeah sarah, sarah gets some new clothes i thought you might be right on that pete since you were you were so concerned about the doctor regenerating at the end of power of the doctor into new mm-hmm. clothes like sarah gets basically transmatted into new clothes here yeah that's weird <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah and and i mean the whole use of transporters now i don't think has aged well uh, right. I feel like matter transporters, like we, we all basically know now what the problem is with them. Yeah. Which is that they, they basically kill you at one end and reconstitute a clone of you at the other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if you've got that technology, then why not just do that for everyone on earth? Uh, but like time delay it until after the solar flares. Yeah. Or, or exactly. Or you could just recreate everyone just with yep. beaming them. I mean, you know, putting putting that aside, I feel like the thing with um, 
that Sarah getting not just put in the clothes, but put in the pod and put in a, mm. what they call either cryogenic freeze or suspended animation. It it does feel a little bit like, oh yes, of course we got to get her out, but it is a bit of a psych, right? Like because they mention like, oh, she's going to be in there for three thousand years or something like that. I think what you would do today uh, in New Who would be to actually do that. You know, like in other words, like she's going to be here for 3000 years. Well, let's pop forward 3000 years. Yeah. Come on, Harry, let's go to the TARDIS and they do it. And then you'd write it in such a way that the we're in thing happens in that gap. Yes. And, and you, you just do even more with, with the timey wimeyness of this and when mm. things happened. It um, be a girl who waited kind of scenario. Yeah. Because otherwise it's a bit of a cop out, right? You're just kind of like, Oh, she's got to be in here. And, and honestly it, 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 I I bought it in the sense of like I bought that she would have to be in there because as anyone knows who's either you know frozen or unfrozen food back and forth a few times it, it kind of wears out it kind of doesn't taste the same anymore and I feel like if you were to realistically depict some kind of cryogenic thing you couldn't just keep freezing and unfreezing people without some serious effects I just I just that just feels real to me, and it's just that it's not really adhered to here. Yeah, especially in Liz Layden's contract, you can only reheat her once. Uh, so <laughs> that's that's your lot. Uh, no, I, I really. Oh God, I was run by this episode. How much I love Liz Layden, and always will. Mm. Like Sarah Jane will will always have my heart. Yeah. Um, but but I loved also loved Harry more than ever in this. Uh, like he's there's there's been a lot of companions who sort of fill up the the blundering doof the blundering oaf kind of role that he's doing <laughs> yeah. here, but he does it so well, and it's just because he's kind of he's kind of upper class and clueless. Um, I right. love that his first response to traveling in the TARDIS is to talk about hundreds of bobbies hiding inside it. You you should sell this because the police would want it because you could have hundreds of bobbies hiding inside it in Trafalgar Square. First of all, <laughs> why? Right. Uh, why Trafalgar Square? Uh, and, you know, Sarah rightly does sort of criticize Harry for, you know, stop burbling. Um, but also, that's sort of a nice anticipation now, since we've been to Black Orchid. I'm like, you know, we know that the doctor only does provide a taxi service to policemen. Um, <laughs> that's true. And uh, so maybe hundreds of bobbies hiding inside it isn't such a, a bad idea. But yeah, Harry has some wonderful wonderful things going on here his whole uh it hasn't aged well to sort of say get sarah a drop of brandy mm. uh, and the dog's like there's there's brandy in the tardis and that's <laughs> you know <laughs> well at least it tracks right at least they've been consistent right. about the brandy and they yeah. you know famously went back around on that in uh, twice upon a time twice upon a time yes it really does anticipate that and the docs are sort of neutral about his medicinal quality but sarah to her credit is like eh, i hate brandy and harry's like oh doctor can't you persuade her to take a drop uh really harry yeah so um, yeah. i guess the, the flip side of the guest cast not being so great and not and rather ill-treated is that you're right like the, the regular cast has a really good episode and it gets this TARDIS trio gelling. Um, mm. I, I gotta say, I think Sarah, despite her getting into trouble early on, it, this is actually, it gets better for Sarah as it goes on. Mm. And the thing I remember most when I was from this, watching this the first time as a kid was her volunteering to go into the conduits, like showing that bravery, like, you know what? I, I'm going to do it as, as much as it's going to be a tight squeeze. Like someone's got to do it. And we got to get these yeah. weird guys. So I'm in. 
Um, yeah. So that was I'm that was very memorable. Yeah. And she also has a really really good line about the doctor, um, where he, she mentions he talks to himself a lot <laughs> because he's the only one who knows what he's talking about, <laughs> which is like nailed it. That has got to go in the all-time great lines of you know what the companions say. Just you know, alongside Martha in Blink, saying, "Trust me." Just just nod when he stops for breath. Uh, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful stuff like that. Uh, also, have to give props to Harry for basically going through the entire adventure shoeless. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I caught oh. that where he's climbing into the matter transmitter and it's just in his socks there. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, another indicator. It, it's a very clean station, right? You could just do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he throws, has to have both of his shoes thrown at this automatic, uh, you know, thing that's blasting him and the doctor, uh, which is another mm. wonderful scene. Well, um, like his shoes yeah. get blown up, the doctor's mm-hmm. scarf and his hat yes. get zapped. Yet yeah. they're completely fine. Like he talks about how like, oh, it's a pity about the scarf because it was made for me by Madame Nostradamus. And yes. it's like, the scarf's fine. You're still wearing it. It looks like there's not even like a, a scorch mark on it. It is weird. It is a candidate for one of the best lines of classic Who, though, uh, that, that Madame Nostradamus was a witty little knitter. Um, <laughs> it's just like so much of this seems tailor- so tailor-made for Tom Baker. Right. I totally. mean, it is extraordinary and i think you see it almost especially coming here in random order right that this is like you have to kind of really keep reminding yourself that he's really new in the role here Mm -hmm. he is this is his third the third one that he's filmed the second one to air that Uh, sounds right yeah robots on tyrant experiment and then this um but he's already nailed his doctor like and and he's taking it to places that no previous doctor has done uh well even that bit where the we're in he's attaching his mind to the we're yeah. eye thingy so he can sort of see the last few moments of the queen's life and he plays that really well like the yeah. one getting across the risk that he's taking but two when he comes out of it he's just so confused and he's like mm-hmm. the, there's the we're larva that's coming at them and he's he's about to like go hi like shake hands with it or something and it's like, no, 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 wait, no, you're not a weird. No, don't do that. Um, so, so I like, I like that that he kind of would go there and then, you know, potentially risk how the character might be perceived, but like get it, get it in these weird places and really get across the feeling of peril. Uh, very yeah. smart choices. I I gotta wonder were there a lot of people going, oh, you know, hashtag not my doctor, like you know, which is sort of a phase we go through with every new doctor, <laughs> uh, like oh, he's no John Pertwee, like on a performance like this, you're like he's no John Pertwee, and that's a good thing, right? Like, he's just so like the mad starey eyes are there, uh, the scene that you just mentioned. He has that great line about how fond he's grown of, of the human race. Right. It's, the whole of the Ark in Space is almost kind of a love letter from the Doctor to the human race. Um, he does a lot of toothy course, grins as well. <laughs> a lot of toothy grins. But of course, we've got to mention that speech, the Homo sapiens yes. speech. What an inventive, invincible species. Uh, I love that line. I feel like that line, if there's one monologue that every actor auditioning for the role of the Doctor should do, it's it's this one. Mm. I mean, it feels like it's a template for a speech that has been given in New Who many times. And I was sort of, I was, because uh, I did go and look at the script after I after I watched the uh the the story this time and i was like you could imagine this in the voice of of every new who doctor 
you know, you mm-hmm. can kind of hear Homo sapiens, eh? Eh? What an inventive, invincible species, eh? You know, you mm-hmm. hear it as tenant ish or, or Matt Smith ish or Homo sapiens rose, you know, um, uh, yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's, it's so like, you know, a lot of bits of dialogue here just, uh, are, are immortal. And, and well, this is really, I think, formative to some extent mm. of the doctor's character. It's like, we think of these things like in the war games that establishes backstory as kind of like the, the moments that define the doctor, but no, like what you've just identified, I think it's that it's moments like that where mm. it's a kind of a speech that he gives and really nails how he regards humanity and, you know, his relationship uh, with humans. And I think if I had thought about it, I think every doctor has had some moment, certainly in New Who, that's very similar. As we were just talking there, I was reminded of the David Tennant episode, um, The Impossible Planet, where he expresses that similar admiration for this group of explorers who just decided to park themselves around a black hole because they can. Yeah. And it you know, it's very similar. Like, I'm just going to hug you because that's, that's really cool. That's what humans do. And, um, you know, again, it, it, it yeah. gives that in show justification, of course, for his sort of obsession with earth. But, you know, beyond that, I mean, it's, it's just sort of what the show, um, takes as a, as arguably it's sort of optimistic, positive view, view of, of humanity and how it goes mm-hmm. into the future. Uh, obviously you can play with that and invert it too. I mean, there's certainly been cynical episodes about certain things humans have done, et cetera. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I would regard this as like one of the definitive moments in the doctor who, well, the doctor's character. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we, we had the, um, you know, two, two episodes ago, we had the moment where the doctor introduces him to himself to Charles Dickens as his biggest fan. Oh yeah. The doctor is, is humanity's biggest fan. I think he's like, mm. he's, the, the doctor is a superhuman nerd. Like he's he's probably going to cons on Gallifrey, like cosplaying as human, you know, <laughs> a it, superhuman it, nerd. Ah, yeah, yeah, see what you did there. Um, but it's yeah, and it's almost like every regeneration has to rediscover his love for humanity, and like he always seems to be rediscovering it when he gives that speech. Like he never never gets tired of of uh, what we can do. It's um, and this may be maybe the best example in the entire show. Yeah, well, I would say definitely definitely answers that question of hey. what's the best moment for the doctor and humanity and his admiration. But there are some other questions that we have to attack. And those are of uh-huh. course the four questions to doomsday. <gasps> First question. Why did the randomizer take us here? All right. Well, I got this one. I got, you this, got this one. Go, ahead. <laughs> Go for it. Tom Baker says, don't panic. Uh, in both yeah. this episode and the pirate planet. Yes, he does. And Boom. as we Mike drop, out, hold on, Mike drop. Let me <laughs> I have to unscrew it. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. Um yeah, it's uh it is interesting coming here straight from the pirate planet, straight, straight from Douglas Adams, because as I mentioned last week, Douglas Adams sent his uh Doctor Who spec script and uh the the very first episode of hitchhikers uh as an example of look what, what i can do to bob holmes mm. uh, and bob holmes was so impressed he, he commissioned the pirate planet so that's how that happened now here we have bob holmes as sort of the other end of his tenure and he is you can see why he would have had such admiration for douglas adams right because douglas adams can do 
things that Bob Holmes is sort of trying to do, but like he's just a bit too much of a slightly schlocky sci-fi mm-hmm. writer. I know I'm sort of committing heresy by even saying that for a little <laughs> A little bit. Whom Bob Holmes can do no wrong. Well, but, he just, yeah. if you're a Bob Holmes fan, go and listen to our uh, podcast on the Carnival, Carnival of Monsters. Oh, so love Carnival of Monsters. And that that is proof that like Bob Holmes was actually quite, quite a comedic, writer Mm. um and so he definitely recognized that in adams right so there's there's some sort of some symbiosis one might say to use a word from this episode uh between (laughs) the two of them uh perhaps you know douglas adams came along and implanted his lava in uh in yeah yeah let me excuse while he was sleeping (laughs) weird Yeah, Image we're sure going on I'm here. Going with that. Not sure I'm going with that. But also, as I mentioned at the last event, uh, like, at the end of last week's stories, like I, I was thinking about the Golga Frinchen B arc from the uh, from Hitchhikers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in the TV show. It's in the book. Google it. Um, but the the B arc is very much like the arc in space. Was probably influenced by it. You've got to say, you know, Douglas Adams was equally influenced by Bob Holmes as much as Holmes admired Adams. So. It seems appro- uh, appropriate that uh, that the randomizer would take us here to the most, um, I guess, the most Adams-esque Tom Baker story that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, Arguably. Uh, ob- Arguably. Yeah. There's also the John Lucarotti involvement, obviously, mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, connecting us to Marco Polo. Uh, the fact that the doctor talks about hating stun guns. Uh, oh. connects us to our whole conversation last week on Romana and, and the stun gun or what right. stun gun, that whole thing. Well, there's also um, a moment here where one of the, I guess he's a med tech, which might explain why he doesn't have the courage to shoot um, mm. Noah. But there's a moment where he's got a gun on him and Noah's just like, don't no, you're not going to shoot, grabs the gun out of his hand, <laughs> turns it around and shoots the guy. And yeah. I'm a little bit like like Grace and I kind of looked at each other at that. So what? Well, why didn't you shoot him? What's going on? And I think it's because we're so used to stun settings on things, and because mm-hmm. the only thing I can think of in my head is well, there, maybe there's just no stun setting, which kind of you know stretches credulity that some human the uh, human race hasn't developed non lethal settings for their guns at this point in the future. But that's mm-hmm. the only way that scene works. But anyway, yeah. So I yeah, actually I, I had one more connection. Yeah. So, do you remember in the war games? I do. The, where we've been to recently, he uses that sonic screwdriver as a mm. screwdriver. And I think we might have even declared at the time we had got sonic screwdriver as screwdriver bingo. We had not <laughs> because he in episode 1 of the Arcade Space, he unscrews the table that they're hiding under from the floor right. with the yes. sonic. Yep, Boom. still got it. The Sonic's still got it, uh, so we don't have a bingo. Maybe there are more lurking out there. I tell you what, we do have bingo on there. I'm pretty confident on this one. Uh, the yo-yo being used as a measure mm. of gravity, which yes. is also in Kill the Moon. I don't know. Does the doc- Do you know of any other time when the Doctor uses a yo-yo? Ooh, I feel like Davison did it once. I don't know when. I, I could be m- making up a memory but based on that but I, I do feel like there's been there's probably a davison moment so i don't think we've got yo-yo bingo yeah okay so potential but certainly yo-yo and bennett oscillator uh which is used in arc and space as a reference <laughs> to the director but also mentioned in kill the moon uh probably because moffat inserted it because he's such a arc and space fan 
but yeah, Nervous Station bingo, Solar Flare, Diaspora bingo, like we're, we're racking them up now. Yep. Collect your bingo cards uh, at the next meetup, guys. Um, but in the meantime, we have to move on to the second question, which, of course, is what if the evil plot had succeeded? So if the evil plot succeeds and the Wirren takes over all uh, all the human bodies on, on Nervous Station, yes? Yeah, so they take over the humans of the Ark, and they, they mention that they're going to colonize the Earth and then essentially use it as a base of operations because they'll have all of humanity's knowledge, but they can spend, I, I forget exactly what the exact, it's some ungodly amount of time in space without breathing again. So right. they, they talk about they could be out for hundreds of years or something and then then get some oxygen somewhere. So yeah. I, yeah. I will say, by the way, <clears throat> one one more reason uh, why I think the randomizer brought us here. Randomizer does seem to like these episodes where there's a lot of sort of sciencey stuff kind of buried within the uh within the the, the story like uh, mm-hmm. buried pretty well like you learn a lot about insects here you learn about you know carbon dioxide and oxygen they have these weird lungs that can have a basically a closed loop system between the two mm-hmm. um so yeah it's it's not bad from a sciencey perspective you learn about roughly how long it takes for a planet to recover from solar flares but i'm sure they're just <laughs> making that up but i mean ten thousand years sounds about right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah there's definitely tons of sciencey stuff going on um, okay, so back to the evil plot. So yes. they've colonized the Earth. And here's the thing where I don't really fully get the stakes here. Because the doctor yeah. does mention a couple times the the future of the entire human race is at stake. So is that to imply the people on board the Ark are the only humans left? Because um, that that's that doesn't work. They've, they've clearly spread throughout the galaxy. They've spread to other galaxies. If they've gone to Andromeda, how could this possibly be the last of the humans? Of course, even getting into that zone, you start to Mm. question, well, why did they need to do an arc in the first place? Uh, Couldn't they just go to some other colony and hang out there? Like why, why are we even using cryogenics this far in the future when it's been very clear from Dr. Who history that humans just have colonies everywhere and interstellar travel and it's not a problem. So I think (laughs) you kind of need to put some blinders on to the rest of Mm. Dr. Who future history for this to work at all. And, and cause it feels like it wants to have those stakes. It wants these people to be the last humans. And if they wear and take them over, um, you know, we're all dead. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, you really have to like be very, see this story in isolation, to do that i i do wonder by the way as as you're saying this it it does give me more of a sense that maybe this is why douglas adams had the whole concept of the golga fringe and arc because the 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 idea of the arc is it's the the useless third of society is the middle managers right yeah telephone sanitation experts it's you know all these people (laughs) with just really dumb bullshit jobs and they've all been told that they're going out first because they're they're the ones who've got to save the race right that's why we're sending you first and of course it's just the rest of society getting rid of them until they contract a disease from a dirty telephone but uh you know so you think there's a sequel to Arcid Space where they basically, oh. I think maybe this this is, I think maybe, you know, uh, Noah may actually be a telephone sanitation uh, operator or a, uh, you know, a middle manager or something who just like has ideas above his station. And, uh, they've all just been told, oh yeah, there's there's a solar flare coming. Like we, we all need to get you guys out. Uh, off you go. Mm. 
uh, we'll record some, uh, you know, quotes from the high minister to play them at appropriate intervals in case they hmm. start getting wise. Um, but yeah, so what? Is, so if the evil plot succeeds, let's say that we're in takeover Earth. Well, I think again, this gets us back to matter transporters, and you know, right. do do transmats have the ability? To do, do they have a memory of like the last several thousand people that they transmitted? In, in which case, they could just transmit them again. Um, right. You know, and why wouldn't you have a larger memory? So basically, uh, what happens is, you know, the humans get beamed back to Earth anyway, and then we have many, many years of uh, human versus bug fighting. Uh, basically, it becomes like Starship Troopers. Oh, wow. That's not bad. I kind of like that. I, I was just thinking the Weir and Takeover, they create their own galactic empire, essentially, with Earth as the base. And they eventually colonize the entire galaxy, maybe even further. So well, I think we have to get a sense of how fast the Wirren can travel and are they using wormholes or are they limited by the speed of light? Ah, wormholes. Boom. I mean, they're bugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I, I, it's, it's just one of those things where, again, the, the, the confused stakes kind of make you think, well, wouldn't they just encounter other human colonies? Also, why haven't they d- taken over already? Like their their innate abilities to absorb knowledge through their uh, parasitism and being able to travel in space. They're relatively immune to most weapons, except for electricity, apparently. Why, um, like, like why, why haven't they just taken over? Like, uh, and, and why aren't they super knowledgeable already by taking over some other race? So... You know, it's uh, kind of like this weird thing. Yeah. Like you almost think this is, and they, they mentioned their origin in Andromeda, but it'd almost be a better way that a uh, better origin would be their like mutate, a mutated version of an earth bug that has mm. only just begun, you know, that that's, it's a brand new uh, species and, you know, is threatening to essentially take over everything sort of similar. Like they did this, a uh, similar thing in, um, <laughs> in the mutant phase. It's one of the early big finish audios where these yeah. uh, bugs end up uh, infecting Daleks. And then it turns into this mega super terrifying race. And they have to sort of go back in time and, and prevent that from mm. happening. So uh, yeah, my, um, my read on yeah. it was that, that we'd radicalized the Wurren by, mm. by invading their, uh, their home on Andromeda. And they, they oh, were yeah. peaceful before that, but now they're like, well, screw you guys. Uh, clearly we need to be, you know, more aggressive than thou. Um, so, you know, we're going to steal all your knowledge. Well, they already got big teeth. Must've been using that for something. <laughs> all right. Either uh, way, it looks pretty bad for humans and others in the galaxy. Oh, I, um, I think we can we can quash some bugs. I think we get Neil Patrick Harris, you know, holding his <laughs> uh, hand to a Wurren forehead and going, "It's afraid, it's afraid." I love <clears> it. Starship Troopers reference there. Also, Neil Patrick Patrick Harris returning uh, to our screens in Doctor Who this fall. In in uh, that role, I think I think that's exactly <laughs> what he's going to be doing. It's but not the celestial some, maker after all, someone yeah. else is doing something here mm. in the Arkan space or around the events of the Arkan space, and that is, of course, Clara Oswald. We have to find her. We have to find her here. Where is the Clara Splinter? Okay. So, so time at the end of the name of the Doctor is in every adventure in the background somewhere and we have to find her. That's right. Yes. 
And yeah, one from memory. Um, yes, she's so here somewhere, she? or she's not here somewhere because there's not many opportunities for her, her to be somewhere here. That's right. That's right. And by the way, I, I forgot to we, we forgot to mention this that the you know the fact that it's just a three hander that opening episode, um, the second episode of this of of the Ark in Space is uh, was a record setter. It was uh, one of the oh, yeah. most watched Doctor Who uh, episodes ever. With some oh, like she's she's years. in the audience. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's back on Earth, telling everyone to watch it. Um, no, no. Uh, what what I was going to say from that was, I really wish that the BBC had sort of uh, taken from that that people really like the three hander of of episode one, and maybe we mm-hmm. just need more episodes with just the Doctor and the companions. So, yeah, maybe Clara is making sure that the uh, the other humans on Nervous Station don't wake up too fast, so that uh, we've got a lot of opportunity to spend time with this TARDIS crew. Mm. Um, or maybe she is actually, first of all, Madame Nostradamus, who knitted mm. the scarf in the first place. And she's there She's there on the station knitting it back together and fixing the hole in the doctor's hat. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she's just there off screen doing some knitting. Yes. Not bad. She's being a witty little knitter. That sounds like Clara. So I had a couple of things because because there's not really opportunity for her to be here other than maybe one of the nameless, faceless people in the pods, which is kind of boring. I got a little meta with it. And so I think she's doing one of two things. She's either designing conduits on space stations like Nerva (laughs) so that they're exactly Doctor Who companion sized. (laughs) And she would know, right? She would know. Okay, this is about that wide. So, oh yeah, I mean, given that she is pretty much the same size as Sarah Jane, maybe she's mm-hmm. responsible for the Sarah Jane clothes. Oh yeah, that could be a two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the other thing I thought of was that in the time where the people are from, uh, the Nerva people are from, when they're you know sent out on their arc, she is sort of a PR handler for the government. And is all like, okay, you know what people really like? Melodrama. Just sound like really like everything you're saying is like the absolute most important things ever. Really stretch it out and just pretend you're like in a Shakespearean play from, you know, the 1950s or 60s. And you've just got no nuance. It's all like full on. Full on yeah, melodrama to do that. Plummy accents. Yes, mm-hmm. don't don't say jokes. Say amusement. Because uh, <laughs> man, when uh, that prime minister comes on and yeah. she's all like, "You are the most important people doing the most important thing in all of our hearts are coming." <laughs> like it's just like, oh my god, this is the most inauthentic, uh, most non-human sounding speech that I think has ever been put to air anytime. Yes. Uh, but speaking of which, uh, that while this show was on the air, that's when uh, Margaret Thatcher became leader of the Conservative Party. Uh, How about that? Leadership contest. And uh, speaking of, you know, non- non-convincing speech. And, yeah. uh, Can you, you know, imagine a, to... a member of the fair <laughs> sex being top of the totem pole, Chris? Yes. Good for you, eh, Sarah? Um <laughs> But of course, Sarah already knows it because she's from 1980 when Margaret Thatcher is actually prime minister. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Uh, There's already hey. enough dating controversies <laughs> going on here. All right. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, you know what? Maybe maybe Clara is that high minister because the the uh, mm-hmm. the, the voice does come in at a, at an opportune moment, right in episode three, where I forget exactly what it's interrupting, but like it's it's not good for our TARDIS team. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and it, basically that's the revolution of the, resolution of the cliffhanger is that the voice interrupts. Um, so mm. maybe that is maybe Clara Oswald is the high minister of the future. Hey, that's good. Mm. You've done all right, Clara. Yeah. Nice work. <laughs> good on you, Clara. Not bad for a member of the Ferris X, eh? Yeah, I'm glad we can imagine it here in 2023. Uh, so, you know, catch up, Harry. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, there is only one more question, but it is the ultimate question. The only question that matters for the arc in space. What did we think of this story? The Pulte Open Radio System has five ratings. There is, of course, the Dalek, which we give to a good episode of Doctor Who. The Ogron, which we give to a not-so-good episode of Doctor Who. The Professor Hater, which is a not-so-great episode, but hey, at least we learned something. At least it tried something. The Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best. And the rarely used Fixed Point in Time, which is an episode that exists outside the rating system. We can't rate it for sometimes yeah. reasons of nostalgia, but also other reasons. I, I sort of feel like a lot of people, uh, a lot of old school fans would might rate this Fixed Point in Time. Uh, because mm. it's like it was so famous for so long and then i think kind of it, it sort of started to lose its uh you know its yeah. sort of horror appeal as, as time went on the effects looked worse and worse um i mean it's it's kind of i i went into this knowing that i i feel like a lot of people are just going to automatically say banger like it's mm-hmm. if you're a really old school fan you just sort of have this like like rtg and moffat like they they would both say banger yeah right? um no doubt uh, yeah and i and i don't think it is i think that in pe- perhaps in concept it is again like the, like the pirate planet we said banger and concept dalek and execution or at least i said that um and uh this one like it would be hard to give that one a dalek and this one a banger right Mm -hmm. um it's you know it's got some great great lines in there it's a really good tardis team it is you know easily one of the best uh and and baker just comes in and is the doctor like it's it's a banger of a performance from tom baker um definitely like really secures him in the role uh in in everyone's mind and everyone's like uh john who um, <laughs> at this point and uh but yeah i gotta say it's it's i there's no way i can rate this um uh a viscount banger i think i think it's just a it's just a straight up dalek um it is it's a template for hinchcliffe it's a template for a lot of new who it's very important in doctor who history like it's a it's a big old shiny Dalek, maybe be an Emperor Dalek, but I think it is not a banger. How about you, Pete? I mean, I'll go even further than you and say this episode's overrated. Um, mm. Sorry, RTD. Sorry, Moffat. I kind of don't get it. Like, I, I do and I don't. Like, I, I think there's a lot of good concept stuff going on here. I can see, like, how the we're in kind of, like, lit- perhaps literally and figuratively get in your head. And... Yeah. Um, there, there's some good attempts at body horror here, but there's just this kind of wooden guest cast. There's a lot of concepts that, or, or things they tried anyway, that just seem like they, they didn't know what 
that could have been easily fixed, like the clean yeah. sets and uh, the the fact that no one right, sees the slime, the mm-hmm. um, the fact that they overuse the Weirin and it's just too well lit and it's just yeah. not that scary. So yeah, he doesn't even step in the slime in his socks. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's. <laughs> There's, there's, there's issues. I'm sorry. There's issues. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's a Dalek. It's a good episode of Dr. Who. Um, it's solid and there's good dialogue and, um, you know, it holds your attention, but it isn't, you're not, I, at no point was I like, Oh wow. You know, and I'm, I would say this, like even the first time I saw it, like, oh, okay, that was, that was a good episode. Let's mm-hmm. see what happens next. Uh, but it's not a thing I, I really, you know, queue up in the, uh, either videotape or DVD or now Blu-ray all that often, right? Like, I've, it's like when it comes up on, for whatever reason, I'd, I'd check it out, but it's not a thing I, I seek out that much. So I'm giving it a Dalek and it's it's kind of a Dalek yeah. that, you know, it talks a good game, <laughs> but <laughs> it screams exterminate a lot, but it doesn't really yeah. use that gun. And we, and we scream explain back. Yeah. <laughs> explain the word, explain. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. I, you know what? I think what we're seeing here is an advantage. It's going to sound self-serving, but I think it's also true. Great advantage of doing the stories in random order mm-hmm. is that we can see that the Arkham space is a little bit overrated. Because I think when you, if you're watching the whole show in chronological order when it was uh, broadcast, uh, then you will have, at this point, you've just gone through the whole Pertwee era. Right. You're like, oh, thank God, a story that's got nothing to do with Unit, a story that's got nothing to do with the Master, like they're finally, you know, it's a it's a great TARDIS team, they're off Earth, it's the beginning of the Hinchcliffe era, like you're so excited for all these reasons that it's different. Yeah. Uh, it's new, it's exciting, it feels a bit more mod, that trying something new. And if you've just slogged through the entire Pertwee era, like it's gonna seem a lot more than it is. Yeah. I think. Um, but yeah, we we are coming in here with none of that prejudice. We're just coming from the ether, right? We're just yeah. jumping in from from the future, from the pirate planet. No, it's a, it's a it's a good point to make. And if you think about even the scale of what they were doing here, going ten thousand years or more into the future, which Doctor Who rarely did that, right? Like they were, you know, more concerned with the sort of not quite immediate future, but the next, you know, it's usually between the 20th century and the 30th century is where most stuff happens in, yeah. in Doctor Who sort of future history. And here they're like, hey, what if we up that and just, you know, had this massive scale and, and time and they think about the, like raise the stakes to the whole future of the human race and we can do this. All fresh idea, not new ideas then, but fresh for Doctor Who and not not mined as much as they are now not just in Doctor Who, but in every, you know, every other franchise. And so you we're just immune to it. We're like, oh, okay, that's cool. You can do that. But I'm not going to give you as many points now just for doing that. Um, you know, you got to You got to earn it. And it does. Like it does. It, again, it doesn't do a bad job. It's just, um, you're, I'm not going to give you extra points just for the scale. Right. And, and we've seen better Hinchcliffs than this. So, hmm. You know, uh, we've been to Genesis already. We've we've seen Talons. Um, you know, we we've seen a lot of his good stuff. So you yeah. know, this this definitely would have to reach a higher bar to be like, oh wow, this is blowing us away. So yeah, perhaps a controversial take for for old school fans, but um, but that's why we're here. We, you know, I I would not in good conscience good conscience want to tell new fans new who fans that this is a banger you must mm. absolutely must see it 
uh, I think it, it can be a little bit of a struggle for a modern audience. Yeah. Agreed. Well, we're going to leave our Daleks here on Nerva and uh, pack up our TARDIS and figure out where we are going next as we flee the Ark in space. And of course, I am alluding to activating the randomizer. That's right. We we puny defenseless bipeds are going to step back into our target. So um, maybe maybe we'll transmit this time on the randomizer uh, to to our next location. However, the randomizer is composed of two components. Uh, the first, Pete, is at the controls of, and that is the codex. That is the complete listing of all. 302 stories by our reckoning of televised Doctor Who and uh, Pete how many of those have we not done? Well now that I have filled in the arc in space with its official pull to open episode number um, we now have 216 Doctor Who stories yet to do my goodness my goodness, 216. Wow. So what happens is we plug the numbers 1 and the numbers 216 into the executor, which is played by random.org, uh, which instead of using algorithmic pseudo-randomness, which is just a computer guessing at a random number, uh, random.org uses atmospheric noise. So it looks at how many were in a bouncing around in the atmosphere. And uh, if, if an atom bounces off a wern, uh, then it's, uh, I guess that tells us where we go next in Doctor Who history. Um, quite, quite an amazing thing. Um, so b- before we hit that button, the random generate button, we do like to give the randomizer some challenges. And, and, uh, as regular listeners know, uh, Pete's challenges are cursed, uh, because <laughs> of the, the whole, uh, curse of the black spot debacle. Um, mm. so Pete, what you got? Well, I'm tempted to ask for more bugs uh, <laughs> oh because my God. bugs I creep mean, me out and I don't want to go to bugs. are we going to get a bug bingo? That's because we've, we've got the green death. Maybe we've got mm. a bad bug, bad bug bingo. <laughs> we've got the tractators. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I, I, guess, bad bugs. I guess I'm sort of keying in on the vision of future humanity, which is mm. uh, a bit utopian here and a bit Star Trek-y. Um, I would love to see a vision of human. It doesn't have to be the future, but let's let's get some cynicism into mm. it. Let's see sort of a dark side of humanity or a uglier side of humanity in whatever we're going to. I wouldn't mind that. Yeah. Let's get something a little bit challenging. Well, I'm going to say so. That the randomizer uh, is clearly trying to uh, get at my statement the other week that I thought that uh, the Doctor Jamie and Zoe were you know, the best three-person TARDIS mm. team ever. And I was like, well, you know, maybe the Doctor, Rory, and Amy, that's a good one. Uh, you've now proven that, yes, the Doctor, Ian, and Sarah, uh, uh, sorry, the Doctor, Harry, and Sarah, <laughs> the Doctor, Ian, Martha, and Sarah. <laughs> For some reason... Too many Ian's. He decided to use his real name there. Um, uh, were really, really solid TARDIS team. Love them. I gotta say, I probably love them as much as Troughton uh, and uh, Zoe and Jamie. So, uh, stick it to me again, Randomizer. Take it us to another uh, two companion story uh, that is up there and proves a whole other group of uh, companions should be in this list when we're thinking about best TARDIS teams. 
Nice. Yeah. Surprise us with uh, uh, another top-notch TARDIS dynamic. All righty. We got our challenges. We got our tools at the ready. I'll give you a countdown for the executor. Four, three, two, one. Where anything could happen. 47. 47. We're We're early. Ooh. We're at Frontier in Space. Ah. Okay. Interesting. Oh, you know what? The randomizer was hearing you badmouth Pertwee. It was just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're just coming oh. off Pertwee. You're tired of being earthbound and all this stuff. And he's basically saying, like, hey, you know what? He had a little bit of variety toward the end there. So uh, try this on for size. I love it. I've not seen this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, oh, it's Draconia. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the Ogrons is our first Ogron. <laughs> yep. Wow. <laughs> I've not actually seen an Ogron episode. We've just we've spent all this time <laughs> talking about Ogrons. Never actually seen them in action. So You know are. the rating. Now you're gonna get to know the monster. But you're gonna yeah. have to get to know it next week when we come back after we've uh, seen this six episoder of the John wow. Pertuiera season ten. Guys, this has been Pull to Open. It is a podcast. Podcasts are great things to subscribe to if you can, if you haven't done that, if you're, say, encountering on a web embed somewhere or just hopping by this YouTube video. Hey, there's a subscribe button somewhere wherever you found it. Go ahead and hit it. Uh, Go ahead and turn on notifications if you're in an app that allows for that. That would alert you whenever we have new content. Please follow us on socials. We are at Pull to Open on TikTok and Pull to Open 63 on Twitter on instagram on facebook spotify listeners we just rated the arc in space you get your voice and hey go ahead tell us it's a banger you can just rate it right there in the app if you think it is or if you agree that we think it's just a a double barrel dalek here Uh, but have your say here on the spotify app and i'm sure our ratings will motivate at least one person who doesn't listen on spotify to download spotify and rate it on your uh, Spotify app. So go ahead and do that. Um, and of course, if you have any, if you have a Doctor Who story title in the form of an emoji, go ahead and leave that on any of the places you can drop us a line that I just mentioned. Yeah, good luck doing the Frontier in Space in emoji form. That would be an interesting one. Oh yeah, challenge, challenge accepted <laughs> by someone. <laughs> All right, well, we will see you here next week for the very last Roger Delgado appearance in Doctor Who history. It'll be a fun one. All right, guys, take care. <laughs> <laughs>